This podcast is part of the MyPodcast.com network. Go online right now and get your very own 100% free podcast, MyPodcast.com. Welcome to Kuden, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Shidoshi Jeffrey Miller and Black Belt Eric White. Shidoshi Miller is a 12th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 25 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Eric White has been a student of Shidoshi Miller's for five years and holds a second degree black belt. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Welcome to what is our fourth episode of Kuden. Thank you very much for uh, checking us out. We've heard a lot of feedback about the previous shows, and people are liking the format and, uh, of course, loving the information that you spew forth. Well, they better. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, today we've got some really great topics. Uh, we're going to cover workplace violence. It can happen to you. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's not just in the news, but um, I think more and more people are becoming aware of this whole thing um you know i'm focusing on the medical field right now um and um for a long time they never termed it workplace violence it was just you know patient did this or patient did that but uh you know, the medical field is really waking up i mean there was that conference um that i was invited to back in october right that i was in uh, what was that amsterdam and um there was this whole thing and it was just centered around um the workplace violence in the medical sector and that actually that's actually growing i got another invitation to one this coming October, and it's not just for the medical field, it's workplace violence in the psychiatric sector. So, mm. you know, and that's in Stockholm. So, uh, you know, as long as they accept my abstract, I'll be in Stockholm in October, and that'll be really cool. Awesome. That'll be a busy month because we've got uh, Fall Ninja Camp. We've got uh, my Japan trip that I take people on. Yeah. And somewhere in there, I'm going to have to fit in going to Stockholm. Bummer. Darn the luck. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Also coming up in the show today, Shuriken Jutsu, tips, tricks, and techniques of what many think is the iconic ninja weapon. Mm, yeah, the ninja star. Right. Yeah. Don't worry about the fact that it was on, you know, the Kung Fu TV series back in the 60s and, uh, you know, so, but absolutely, I mean, whatever people want to think, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my win mode this morning. <laughs> and also, the respectful warrior. How does the warrior define respect? Mm. Yeah, let's see if we can't expand some minds on that one. Right? Yeah, <laughs> as always, absolutely great topics today in the show. Some interesting stuff about new website that absolutely. is coming along, and some of the upcoming events like spring and fall camp, and some of the others that you mentioned. The amount of work I do so that these people can have information it's it baffles me sometimes. <laughs> you know, up until three thirty in the morning trying to finish articles and get things done so that uh, well you can enjoy yourself. <laughs> Excellent. Kuden News is next. With the latest in self-defense and martial arts current events and information from around the world to you, this is Kuden News. Soke Atsumi was recently asked about the theme for 2009. Typically, Soke picks a weapon, Ryu, or overall theme to influence the year's training. Soke's response about 2009 is no theme. Soke, however, discussed three things that are important to a martial artist. Saino, ability and or talent. Kokoro, heart. 
and Utsua capacity. Mark Lithgow, Soke's interpreter at the time of the discussion, says he took Soke's words as ability, heart, and a capacity for growth is important for a martial artist. In addition to the no theme theme, Soke would like students to study Nawa, rope, and Ken, sword. In WCI News, Shidoshi Miller's three-disc DVD series, Surviving Under Fire, is now available. Master defensive combat handgun tactics and techniques. Learn handgun disarms and retention, plus improve speed and accuracy. This series has something for everyone, whether you've never fired a gun or you consider yourself an expert. Visit the website or call the Academy today to place your order. Be sure to check out warrior-concepts-online.com often. The website is being restructured to offer more specific information and training opportunities. The new website will feature areas specific to traditional NIMPO training, general self-defense information, corporate workplace self-defense consulting, and more. It will now be even easier to find the information you need. Spring and Fall Ninja Camps are now forming. If you are looking for a total immersion into the warrior arts of the ancient ninja, don't miss an opportunity to attend one or both ninja camps this year. For more details and information on how you can attend one of Shidoshi Miller's seminars, classes, or camps, visit warrior-concepts-online.com or call 570-988-2228. We are back with our first segment of this episode of Kuden. Remember, you can always find out more information or follow up on any of the topics we talk about by checking out the website, warrior-concepts-online.com. And people can sign up for many different newsletters and e-courses. Absolutely, there's there's tons of stuff. I just, it's amazing as as we're moving things uh, to the new site. Uh, what I'm trying to do is create something that's uh, not kind of an all-in-one thing, and yet it still is. It's still WarriorConceptsOnline.com, but the current site. Uh, what's happened over the last four years is we now have like five different groups of people all trying to come to this one site that all looks the same and things like that, and it's appealing to some people but not to a lot of other ones, right? So, you know, we've got this. Um, of course, we have our Ninpo and Bujinkan group that, that comes in. We've got a whole self-defense group that really doesn't want to have to uh, do or they don't want to associate with uh, martial arts for self-defense, right, until I re-educate them and let them know that it's not all the same, right? We've got the personal development people. We've got parents that are coming there for child safety things. And we've got the workplace violence stuff, right? right. So that's my new corporate direction kind of thing with, with that whole side. But, um, yeah, so what's happening now is we're going to have this site where uh, – there, it, it's going to be a series of five sites interconnected, but each site will specifically speak to each of these groups so that, um, you know, the, the site can be designed around what they like to see and what they want to experience and things like that. So it's not all this crossover going on, mm-hmm. and it just isn't this uh, – it's not, uh, you know, just a generalized mixed message. So um, if people think that I've been specific now, um, what do they get to the new site, right? <laughs> yeah, so um, we're just um, – we're trying to get all this stuff to to happen so that um, it it serves people better when they when they come in there. Very cool. It's going to be tailored for just what they're looking absolutely. for. Absolutely, be able to absolutely. find it uh, much easier. So look for the uh, new redesigned website again: warrior-concepts-online.com. And most people are probably going to log on and look at it while they're working, is my <laughs> guess, because that's what most people do. If they have a computer and they're at work, they spend a lot of time. Uh, cruising the internet right well we understand that you know we're doing this <laughs> podcast thing too so by the time somebody hears it uh, you know they may already be encountering the new site but uh it's gonna i'm looking to have it go live by like mid-february of 09 so uh, not too long from now and yeah barring any glitches but uh yeah came across some uh 
won some excellent help from one of my students at the school. He and his partner own a big uh, web development and marketing company, and uh, he's been gracious enough to donate server space and, and help with getting this whole thing to happen. Um, but uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ease up my time because up to this point I felt like a, I don't know, uh, website designer slash whatever more than uh, author, writer, you know, that kind of thing. So this whole setup will just allow me to do that and, um, you know, do what I do, I do well without feeling like I'm some kind of a I don't know, webmaster or something <laughs> like that. You know? That's going to be awesome. Be sure to look for the new site very soon, uh, if not up already, uh, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. And uh, I mentioned the work thing because that brings us to our topic, which is workplace violence. It can happen to you. And I got this little blurb off of the U.S. Department of Labor and leave it to the government to keep things really updated but according to them in 2005 uh there were 564 workplace homicides and um recently uh december 16th of 08 here there was uh, uh, a new story about a shooting at lockheed martin which happened in our state here pennsylvania and um, they say it was a security guard and they believe it to be a personal matter but he right. he shot he fatally shot somebody an employee there and then shot himself so one of these kind of murder suicide things but it happened in the workplace right. well you know there are actually several events that happened there were like three in like two weeks that happened locally for us and um i tend to think about these things a little differently than most people as you know and uh, one was a guy that was i think he was in a laundromat or something like that and beat a couple of women well they all work together he just didn't do it at work right and then it was another i can't remember the specifics of that one but i remember three in like two weeks right but uh this this thing at uh, Lockheed Martin, uh, that's very similar to the police officer that walked into one of our local hospitals uh, two or three years ago, right, and shot his estranged wife over a child custody thing, right? All the other employees were standing around and stuff like that. Well, you know, so everybody starts screaming, say, if we didn't have guns, that wouldn't happen. Uh, you know, I beg to differ because these people were allowed to have guns. They were security. They were police officers. As a matter of fact, the, the guy that did it at the hospital was the chief of police. Mm. So... No, it's not that. Okay, there's a lot of other things that are um, that need to be taken into consideration because a lot of people figure you know it's not going to happen there, and, and that's the problem with most people. They live in denial, right? They don't have to think about it. Everything's okay, so they really do subscribe to the ignorance is bliss kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but what I like to say is the last time, the last place and time you want to be thinking about self defense training is while you're staring down the barrel of a gun or you've got this person on you and you can feel them and smell them. And it's just, that's not the place to be. You know, it's not, that's, that's not what I want my dying thoughts to be. It's not yeah. what I want my you know thoughts to be as I black out, whether I wake up later in a hospital or not. Blacking out is, you know, just not my idea of a good time unless I'm relaxing in bed and falling asleep. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just very different. But um, people tend to live in this whole, I don't know, box, I think. And um, uh, while certain groups are waking up, Right. Uh, it'd be interesting to see the breakdown on those uh, 564 workplace homicides because my statistics that I've gathered show that um, most homicides, workplace violence homicides, are management level. Hmm. It's the number one cause of workplace death uh, uh, for managers. Uh huh. Uh, and, uh, you know, for that kind of thing. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how many of those. They're a little more way. targeted. Uh, yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, my uncle um, works for a big corporation in Delaware. And, uh, sorry, they don't get a free plug. But uh, <laughs> um, we were talking about this over Christmas uh, two years ago, not this Christmas, last Christmas. And I told him I was, you know, breaking into the field and, and I was going to uh, repackage what I have for people and corporations. And um, he just, his eyes kind of shifted and I thought, oh, you know. 
It's going to give me a reason why that's really not necessary in the corporate world. He's a uh, an accountant by education, but he's uh, VP of this whole department. Mm. He's mm-hmm. been there forever. And um, uh, now it's, instead of that, what he started to do was convey about this employee that he had that he inherited from the previous person. And this person is very volatile. They're very manipulative. And if they don't get their own way, they're like a child. Um, and mm. th- it's not just that they threaten to quit if things don't go their way. I mean, they become enraged. They threaten harm on people. Mm-hmm. So here he's trying to figure out how to deal with this person without igniting something. But after doing some research, what he found was that the previous manager to not have to deal with this pretty much babied the guy and gave him what he wanted. She she became a facilitator, and whenever he would have his flare-up, she would go into appeasal mode. Well, I don't care if we're talking about adults or children. When you do that, what you do is you give them uh, permission to act mm-hmm. like that, right? yeah, and you empower them. Uh, but then we have this whole other mindset where, and this is what he's up against as well with his superiors, is, well, if we bring training like that in, are we going to make our employees violent? Right, and that's mm. that's a common parental concern that I hear all the time with kids that come in, or that that parents, you know, when they hear about martial arts or or whatever, you know, they don't want their kid to become a bully. And the fact is, is that just the opposite happens. I mean, if you're the one training, and, and I'm, I know I'm singing to the choir for the people that are listening that do this kind of training, and I know mm-hmm. that you know I'm singing to the choir when I talk to you. Uh, the app, the opposite happens. I mean, you you become very, um, very much able to let insults and things like that roll off your back and you kind of chuckle at people because you start to know where those things come from and it's coming from a sense of insecurity and Mm -hmm. they're flaring up to look tough but we understand that there's a huge difference between somebody who looks tough and somebody who is tough right right i call it the big dog syndrome right little dog just runs around and yaps and whatever and he just knows you can punt his little butt across the you know field goal post or whatever the big dog just laying around wanting to nap or play or whatever he knows he can chew your leg off but that's not that's not his thing he just wants to have a good time he's got mm-hmm. the other stuff handled right so um but there's this whole thing where people are worried that employees are going to become uh, more violent and that's just not true for the most part most people will actually become more relaxed because they feel more secure and they feel like since they have this knowledge you know, their paranoia is not a problem anymore, or they're you know they're they're able to to get a better sense. The other thing that happens is those people who like to brutalize or attack either get put in their place because they know yeah. that this they're going to be neutralized very quickly if they do something. Sure, right? uh, and other people. They just quit. They go to happier hunting grounds. It's kind of like in places where, uh, you know, they modified the gun control law so that most people can carry and things mm-hmm. like that, right? Very little crime going on in those places. Uh, I remember a bunch of years ago when uh, New Hampshire did it, right? I mean, anybody over the age of 21 that didn't have a felony or a, uh, a medical pro- or a mental problem could carry a concealed weapon, Yeah, right? Crime rate dropped below 6% in under six months, right? Well, of course it did. All the criminals moved to New York City where the gun control laws are really, you know, stringent yeah. and nobody's caring. So, you know, the wolves go where the sheep are easy, mm-hmm. right? So uh, it's it's just a very different mentality. And I was, I was talking to you about this earlier. Uh, part of my job is to teach people how to think about this realm because most people haven't been there. You know, most people know how to think about I don't know, using a knife because they've been nicked or cut at least once in their life. and They get that idea. Yeah. You know, how many people have been, you know, brutally jumped or assaulted or whatever. So uh, most people can theorize it, theorize about it, but the way they think about it 
just things don't work that way in yeah. that situation. So it's very, very different. I think it's an important wake-up call, too, for people that never really thought about workplace violence. I mean, it, you rarely hear about it on the news. Something happens, and then you hear about it, or maybe even thinking, oh, 564, that's a small number compared to thousands of murders throughout the year. But really, yeah, but what uh, you're, you're at work all the time. You're there probably more often than you're around your other family in some cases, right. and you have those relationships that you don't think about, and you're also focused on work, so you're not thinking... Your mind somewhere else as opposed to being aware of some other things that are happening right. well, while you're working. You know, we're looking at 564 workplace homicides, right? If you looked at the percentage of murders over all the other violent crimes, well, it's going to be a whole lot less also. So if you just looked at that number, only this number of people got killed last year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Out of all the millions and billions of people on the planet, right. cool, only that number of people. But what they're not looking at is the sexual harassment. They're not looking at the assault. They're not looking at the verbal abuse. They're not mm-hmm. looking at those kind of things that where physical action wasn't necessary on the aggressor's part because he just intimidated you into, if you do this, I will beat you. If you do this, I will do these things, right? Mm. Um, as I said earlier, uh, in the medical realm, they didn't call this workplace violence for a long time because it was just a patient reaching out or lashing out or whatever. Now, they do have some where the person is just angry and it's the same thing that you know in any other realm here's here's a story i just got got not too long ago i was uh, talking to a doctor and his wife who's a nurse Mm. and um they really wanted me to come into their facility and do some stuff because uh she said it's just it's amazing uh not too long ago there was a patient uh who was in his room and the nurse brought his meal to him now mind you this person is in the hospital and if you've ever been in the hospital for a stayover dietary brings a menu to you yeah and you tell them what you want. Right. Yes? Yeah, you get to pick Actually, it out. Right. So they brought him his meal. Okay? He looks at it, decides he doesn't want it or like it, sits up and punches her in the chest hard enough that she blacks out and drops to the floor and needs medical attention herself. Right? Uh-huh. Here's somebody that's typically violent, obviously understands that he can just reach out and do those kind of things. But in the medical realm, that's not the predominant thing. In the medical realm... The typical attacker isn't the typical workplace violence attacker that the profiles for uh, human resources people use to to weed these people out before they even hire them, right? Yeah. In the in the medical uh, sector, what you have are people that are uh, psychologically off, right? I mean, normally anyway, they are. Uh, but the, the the ones that you wouldn't expect are the everyday Joe who wouldn't hurt anybody, but now they're under severe conditions of grief. Mm. Right, physical pain, or they're having a, uh, an interaction problem with their medications. Right, so mm. it's just very, very different. So for a long time, this wasn't called workplace violence. Yeah, right? um, and I know we're going to get to talk to talk about the Virginia Tech thing here in just a minute because you pulled yeah. something else off about that. Uh, but that's that's a workplace violence thing. Sure, you know, even though it was a student on a campus, well, you know, he didn't work there. Right. right? But the other thing I want to say about that is. That with this whole denial thing, a lot of places, because they're a closed bubble, right, they mm-hmm. figure, you know, everybody that I work with is really, really great, right? Yeah. Yeah, but this woman that was shot by her uh, supposed lover or whatever, this yeah. guy that had fixations on her or whatever that was there, um, or the cop that came in and shot his wife who was a nurse at the hospital, and all, a lot of these places, right, mm-hmm. um, they didn't work there. Yeah. They were outsiders, right? It happened at the workplace, Right. Okay. But what the media makes a big deal about is the employee or ex-employee who, you know, runs a rampage. It's almost like if you know if they don't kill 
at least six people. It's it doesn't make putting moves. in the paper. That's right. Yeah. If it you bleeds, know? it leads. That's so, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, but what, what they're really missing are a lot of these factors that, um, things can happen anytime. Now, I'm not trying to make people paranoid. That's not my point. My point is if, you know, you prepare yourself for the stuff and you get the training you need, then you can go back to relaxing. You know, yeah. uh, I do believe in putting all your eggs in one basket. Get this problem dealt with, get it handled so you can take care of yourself. And then you go back to partying and having a great life and whatever because this, you know, if this kind of thing pops up, chances are you're going to be able to deal with it. Hmm. Now, the Virginia Tech uh, issue, I, I found this. Uh question uh, submitted by Mary, and she says, the terrible tragedy at the Virginia Tech campus has opened up a lot of debate debate at my company. Uh, we have decided to rewrite our workplace violence slash security policy to be more detailed about things like weapons, specific training, domestic violence, response, etc. Prior to this, our policy included more things having to do with terrorism and natural disaster, but now we want to be very specific about workplace violence is anyone else doing this? We've, we've never had an incident, so I'm having a hard time getting started. So it sounds like she wants to get her employer to kind of uh, bring about more policy specific to workplace violence, not just safety, hazards, terrorism, natural Absolutely. disasters. How do you make that transition? Learn how to think about it. Because if you don't know how to think about it, you're not going to know how to approach people about it. Okay, And part of my education so that I could go and help the corporate world with this kind of thing was not just, uh, you know, to talk about workplace violence or self-defense or whatever. It was what I had to find their buzzwords. I had to find uh, out how they discussed danger or safety issues in the workplace, right? Mm. So what I've discovered is that workplace violence issues actually falls under either emergency response or crisis management, right? So a lot of these people, they use these things, right? So... A lot of these things that, you know, she's discussing here with terrorism or national natural disasters or whatever, that's a crisis management kind of thing, right, um, as a broad area. So each of these areas needs its own little thing. Right? Mm -hmm. But terrorism that pops up at your job it requires you to defend yourself against a human element, right? There right. it is. So it's workplace violence. Okay? <laughs> it's pretty simple um, to me. But how does she get started? She gets started by... Uh, finding like situations that happen in companies like hers because obviously I mean what she says here is they never had an incident right so how do you think about it and like I said before you don't want to be thinking about it when you're face to face with the bad guy okay now how do I deal with this uh, not a clue right mm -hmm. here it comes As a matter of fact if you're logical rational side is still functioning and you're not you know soiling your pants um, you're really lucky, but I think, you know, and, and you know, I mean, the drills that we take people through in training and, and things like that, it allows you to get used to that kind of thing so that more of your rational, logical functions remain during that chaotic moment yes. so that, uh, yes, you are instinctively responding, but at the same time, there's part of you that's still there that's that's uh, tempering things. And the problem with most people who are completely unaware or unprepared for this kind of thing is that either they try to run around rationally trying to rationalize or trying to, excuse me, figure out the situation while it's happening. And, of course, that doesn't allow them to move at all because your left brain only functions a certain way, and it just it's, it's, there's too much information coming in. Mm. Or that entire section of our brain just takes a vacation, and you're left with whatever is in the storehouse. Mm. And if there's nothing in there, you know, fight, flight, or freeze is going to look a whole lot different than, than typical, right? Um, what else do I have to say about Mary's comment here? Um, yeah, 
this um, this uh, workplace violence thing. I mean, it's nice that she has you know it, in- it included here with. Uh, they have some of the things like domestic violence and things like that, but um, a a big deal here, she's going to have to learn how to think about it and, or get somebody in there that can communicate for them. Mm -hmm. She's going to need to gather some information, but again, be, be very careful because in the, in the age of the internet, I don't believe that we're in the information anymore, information age anymore. Um, We've got way too much information. I mean, we can spend our entire lives researching a subject and never know, Mm everything about it yeah. or trying to sort out, you know, who's really talking or who's really talking to talk and who's just making it up and regurgitating other people's information or whatever. So there's tons of information out there. But um, if you don't know, you need to find somebody who does know and go from there. Okay. Um, there's nothing wrong with you spearheading a project and still not being the one who has tons of information about it, right? Mm-hmm. Find somebody who has the information. You'll be a lot smarter at the end instead of trying to educate yourself. I mean, if she doesn't know how to think about this and she doesn't have the information to do it, she's going to be wasting precious time educating herself before she can even approach the subject and something can be happening in that window. Yeah. Right? So uh, if you're listening and you're, you have a similar situation to Mary or feel the same way, uh, you know, going to you, Mr. Miller, would be a perfect uh, thing to do. Ask you questions, find out how uh, you can specifically tailor things for different types of companies and workplaces. And you also offer a lot of like with the the EDR uh, courses that you do that are more specific for maybe the corporate or workplace world that, you know, somebody doesn't want to earn a bunch of different colored belts, but they want to know what to do while they're in the workplace. Absolutely. absolutely. As a matter of fact, I just had a hospital contact me a little while ago. Um, they didn't want to start with unarmed stuff. They just wanted their, you know, wanted to know if I could teach their people how to uh, deal with weapons. Mm-hmm. My response to them was, as long as what you're looking for uh, is within the, the ethical and moral realm, I mean, I don't want to be giving people a bunch of information that I know that without some foundational training, they're not going to be able to use it anyway. Because mm-hmm. all that is is making somebody feel good and putting a feather in their cap that, oh, look, hey, we brought this guy in. Everybody went through a class. They all got, you know, the certificate and woohoo, they're all prepared. Uh, no, not true. But um, we're going to be talking about um, specifically what will work for people that don't have any training at all. Right? So there are things that people can do. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, there's a whole site that I set up specifically for the corporate world, and it's at wcinternational.com. Mm. And uh, it's, my, it's the whole site of what I do, WCI Consulting. And it's specifically set up. It spells out some of those programs. Of course, they can be tailored to whatever a company's need is. But there's a form on there that people can submit, and we can set up a phone conference. It doesn't cost them anything, and we can you know just talk about a couple of these points, and uh, you know they can go from there. But uh, absolutely. And uh, if it's okay, I, what I want to do is uh, just chat about this uh, Virginia Tech thing here uh, for just a second because uh, I think I talked about this in the last uh, episode. I can't remember. Uh, about Virginia Te- the Virginia Tech incident, uh, to me, was a, was a workplace violence mm-hmm. uh, incident. Uh, do you remember what, I don't know if you even saw the news, but Virginia Tech, the school, did something the next day that just sent me through the roof. No, I must have missed that. Uh, no, it, it or don't sent, recall, but it, it just sent me through the roof. Um, they brought in a security consultant to reevaluate all their security procedures. Uh. And I just, I, I thought, what a waste of time, effort, and money. Mm. Of course, lots of people are thinking, well, you know, this guy got around and through security. No, he didn't. Okay. The reason why I call it a workplace violence issue is I don't care if you're staff, I don't care if you're, you know, in the uh, professorial pool or if you're a student, you have to be there during a certain scheduled time and things like that, just mm-hmm. like employees, right? It's, right. it's a closed 
uh, organization. The perpetrator was an insider. Mm -hmm. So his attacks, if you look at what he did over that sp uh, the span of that day, he had already pre-planned pre where he could get to these people, how and when, right? He was privy to the security. So bringing a security specialist in to reevaluate the security systems so that you could handle or prevent that thing from happening again is freaking ridiculous, right? Right. Because the perpetrator knows the systems. Mm -hmm. And their plan is based on the systems. Right. Right? What they what they what 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 really got me was that and, and I'll talk about the personal element here in a minute was that they thought that this was a security issue. You know, and it was not a security issue, right? So um, just be careful that you're not falling back on the, the whole, uh, I put this in place so it, it makes me feel good. Because what it does is it allows human beings to actually be more lazy, kind of like, uh, you know, when the Columbine thing happened, right? Every school across the freaking nation locked the front doors, put a buzzer on there, you know, so you had to, you supposedly controlled access, right? Mm. I have been to three schools out of literally hundreds where the office and the person who was responsible for buzzing you in could see the person at the door. And besides that, it doesn't matter if they can see you or not. Nobody comes out to talk to you to let you in, mm. right? You buzz in, and then there's a sign. Visitors must report to the office. So now you need to find the office, right? They're trusting that you're going to enter and go to the office. Of course, they buzz you in, so they're going to stand there waiting because mm -hmm. it's too much freaking trouble to walk to the door and validate who you are, right? And... um so what does that do? Well, I put a buzzer on the door so we feel safe because we have to buzz strangers in. And then what? Well, uh, we trust that they come there, right? One school that I was presenting to, I was actually presenting to the lunch lady as well as the food service department, okay? Uh, they said that the school put a workplace violence thing in, but it was mostly to handle, again, terrorism and that kind of thing, right? But uh, what, they, what they did, and these were lunch ladies, right? These are people that um, aren't in my world, but they were thinking very clearly. They questioned one of the procedures that this expert, right, had them do. Mm. Everybody, lunch staff included, if something were to happen, they're all assigned a room and a group of students and things like that, right, for lockdown. Well, great, okay, except that all the rooms that were designated as safe areas had no windows and had one access, one way in, one way out, mm. okay? Now, I'm not sure why they put them in rooms with no windows, unless they expect a full-on assault from a military outside where they're just going to be spraying with, you know, machine guns through the windows, and that's going to, you know, take people out or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, windows give you another way out, right? Sure. So that, you know, if the guy comes through the door, you, you can get out of there. And the way most schools are built, you've got brick and mortar and, and cinder block and all that kind of stuff. You've got this huge, thick wall between the outside and the inside. You've got this perfect cover, this perfect barrier for people to get, up, get down and next to, should somebody be outside doing that? But that's not generally the case. I mean, they're, you know, walking the halls, are going to be coming into the door, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. right? uh, unfortunately, during that Virginia Tech incident, there was a uh, professor who knew what to do as far as barring things and protecting the kids so they could get out. He got shot through the door. Yeah. Right? But there is a way to bar a door with nothing more than a foot, right, and, and covering the rest of your body so that you're not on the other side. Now, he did what he knew. 
Mm-hmm. And he became a hero because of it, but, you know, he also became a martyr, right? So the, there are these simple things. We don't have to be teaching people, you know, how to do Steven Seagal, you know, arm breaks and things like that to defend themselves. But, uh, and here's that personal issue that I thought about and how sad this was. I don't care if we're talking about Columbine or that Amish school here in Pennsylvania that, you know, was shot up uh, last year mm-hmm. or Virginia Tech or any of these places. I don't care. These are educational institutions, Parents, or we the taxpayers, are paying tons of money for our kids to get an education. And in this moment, when they were being attacked, the one part of their education that they needed to survive, they didn't have. Mm. Now, sorry to end on a sad note, but um, that's that's just what it is. Yeah. You know. So then afterwards, everybody gets to be mourners, and we get to you know put together support groups and things like that. But um, if we didn't live in denial to begin with, we wouldn't be, you know, needing a support group afterwards. Right? Yeah. We'd have a whole whole less uh, a whole lot less fewer casualties and, and things like that. So anyway, well, if this is if this is definitely a wake up call for you, or uh, even if uh, you've thought about these things but have more questions, definitely go to the website. Uh, if you're looking for something more corporate, it was. WC International? WCinternational.com. Right. Yeah. And you can also uh, go to the main site, which is warrior-concepts-online.com. And, and just one more thing before before we come off of this thing. I know a lot of people have either thought about this, and a lot of companies do have the workplace violence policies. Like Mary said, they have it, but, yeah. you know, it's about terrorism or whatever, right? Uh, do you know that you are 10,000 times more likely, right, to uh, be injured in a car accident than you are to be hurt in a terrorist act? Mm. 10,000 times more likely. So, yeah. Um, let's get the things in the workplace violence uh, plan that's more likely to happen. So, again, this is that thinking thing, right? Let's, right? let's plan for the worst, regardless of the fact that, you know, I stand a better chance of landing on the moon as an untrained astronaut <laughs> than I do of being, you know, uh, yeah. in a terrorist kind of thing, um, unless you're vacationing in terrorist uh, areas. But a lot of these plans, if you have a plan, review the plan. If it's just heavy on... Prevention, mm-hmm. right? There's your zero tolerance statement. There's your banned weapons on site things and all that, right? Uh, the only training you have are how employees should talk to each other and interaction and things like that. And then it jumps right to reporting and punitive action. Here's mm-hmm. what's going to happen if you do these things. Um, sorry, folks. The the aggressor, one, if he decides to flip his gourd and go do whatever he's doing, yeah. he doesn't give a crap about your <laughs> zero tolerance no. policy or your banned weapons list. And he certainly doesn't care what you're going to do to him afterwards, especially if he's going to pop himself, which most of them do. So, mm. um, rot's a rock, right? But what's mm. missing is this huge gap in the middle about what you, your management, your employees, what what you're going to do when you're face to face with this this with your worst nightmare, right? So, uh, don't miss the obvious, right? You're looking to make yourself safe. Don't put together policies that allow you to feel safe. When really you're just, again, in denial, right? We're just going to make everybody else not do these things. We're going to make a crazed, enraged, illogical, irrational person behave logically and rationally because, well, we put a rule in place that says you can't do that. Mm. Who's nuts here? The guy that's planning on shooting up the place or the people that think that (laughs) telling somebody who's that way, don't do that. You can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll fire you if you do that. Yeah. Yeah. Who's insane here, Uh right? Absolutely. Uh Yeah. Find out more, warrior-concepts-online.com. And as always, you can send questions and comments to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Coming up next, Shuriken Jutsu, tips, tricks, and techniques of what many feel is the iconic ninja weapon.
next on Kudin. Which handgun is best for general self-defense, revolver or semi-automatic? How many types of recoil must you neutralize in a defensive combat handgun situation? What two skill areas are missing from most gun training courses? You need answers. Your life could depend on it. You need Surviving Under Fire. This three-disc DVD series offers the answers to these questions and more. Plus Shidoshi Miller's Four Pillars of Handgun Mastery. Order your copy of Surviving Under Fire today at warrior-concepts-online.com or call 570-988-2228. Put Shidoshi Miller's 25-plus years of knowledge and experience to work for you. Get the three-disc series Surviving Under Fire and master the skills that could one day save your life. We're back with our next segment on this episode of Kuden. As always, questions, comments uh, can be directed to warriorc at warriorconcepts.com. Uh, dot com or your dash concepts uh, dot com, but you can also uh, send us any ideas of um, different things you'd like to hear about. We kind of take this central segment of the show and and pick out different uh, kind of weapons and and things of a more historical or traditional nature to cover. And today it is shuriken jutsu. Uh, a lot of people look at it as like the iconic ninja weapon, but I think before we get into any tips or tricks or anything, maybe we should start off with some of the many myths that are out there that aren't necessarily correct when it comes to like the first one it uh you know the shuriken oh uh what do the, the americans call it a throwing star right right it was a ninja weapon well the ninja used it and the ninja certainly developed lots of ways to use it um but as we were talking about before right there's this um if you look in Nijutsu history and tradition by uh, uh, Grandmaster Hatsumi and a lot of these other books right you'll find this listing called the 18 uh Ninja fundamentals, right, for training. Mm-hmm. And Taijutsu's in there, and, uh, you know, Kasarigama, the sickle and chain weapon, and uh, Bajutsu, horsemanship, and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are actually 36 ninja fundamentals, not 18, okay? Because uh, the there were 18, generally, roughly speaking, uh, uh, standard warrior mm-hmm. uh, things that they had to learn, sword and, and things like that, right? So there's a whole list. And uh, ninjutsu techniques are variations on the standard uh, the standard training areas. Okay, now these eighteen changed over time, so depending on what was going on and what era we're in, mm. as to what the roughly categorized uh, set of eighteen were supposed to be to deal with what was going on during those times or what weapons were prevalent, that kind of thing, right? Uh, so I'm sure, one, that's going to expand some people's minds because Ninja didn't have to study 18 areas. They studied 36. Uh-huh. Right? Now, but the other thing is that often those 36 overlapped, okay? The 18 Ninjutsu ones, not all of them, but the 18 mm-hmm. Ninja Fundamentals, many of those were the same category as the 18 in the Samurai group or in the, in mm. the Bushi group, but they weren't done the same way, okay? Mm. Because, again, we're variations on a theme, right? Uh and shuriken was one of those. Okay. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, lots of samurai families had this whole shuriken thing, right? Um, one of the other myths, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say that it wasn't true because I wasn't there, but let's think about this, okay? From a training perspective, not an armchair ninja sitting there watching your movies or reading your books or surfing the internet and just, uh, studying it or on a, uh, I was going to say I don't want to ruffle feathers, but yes, I do. Okay, mm-hmm. hop it around in the forums and sharing your uh, theories as though you were there. Uh, the other one of these other myths is that the ninja tipped their uh, shuriken with poison. 
And they may have. They may have, uh-huh. okay? Because that's me since they talked about this, you know, a little bit here and there and stuff like that. But let's think about this, okay? Uh, most people know that, you know, the Ninja either carried the shirt in a little pouch, which yeah. is, you know, a little carry bag or whatever, which is fine. Okay, there it is. Um, or they were slipped into hidden pockets inside your clothing, right? Okay, that's cool. As long as you're just walking around. But can you imagine needing to drop into a roll and accidentally, oops, <laughs> scraping yourself or poking yourself with one of these tipped weapons, right? That and the, the other thing, too, is, you know, these these poisons are not as fast-acting as you saw in the 80s Ashita Kim, or uh, Shokasugi ninja movies or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you are. The <laughs> person just suddenly, you know, has a coronary and drops, right? right. It just didn't happen that way, right? I mean, even the, some of the stuff that, uh, you know, our uh, spies and stuff people are using today, It'll happen that fast. Like, yeah. You know, bite down and you're dead now. Well, it's getting faster, but let's think about this. Okay? It's 13th, 14th, 16th century Japan. Uh, no, it's probably easier to either use dung, right? Mm-hmm. So the person gets an infection or whatever. But still, you're talking about killing him long term, right? Or um, just letting it rust. Mm. They didn't have tetanus shots back then. Right. Still had locked y'all. Okay? And sometimes, I mean, can you imagine... Uh, a samurai going up against a ninja who watched his friend die a painful death because he got cut by a by a dirty blade, right? Yeah. This ninja whips out this freaking orange piece of metal that's just, you know, flaked with rust and stuff, right? Might cause him to be worried about it a little bit, right? Yeah. Okay. So here's this thing, right? Another myth, right? Uh, shuriken is a killing weapon. Um, pardon my French. My, my French friends would tell me it's not French, but anyway, bullshit, right? <laughs> it's not a killing weapon, right? Um, a lot of these stars that people are using, uh, a lot of these shuriken, they're, they're not shaped in a way that will allow them to penetrate deeply enough mm. to hit anything vital, right? So where's that going, okay? And if, you, if you're not sure about this, I mean, short of our three-point, four-point, uh, even some of the five-point shuriken, the easiest way to see what the depth, maximum depth of your shuriken is, um, you know, give or take a little bit, is to just draw a line between, uh, if you, you know, pick any one point and then pick the two points uh, that flank it left and right, and draw a line from tip to tip across those two through the middle one, right? And then you can probably add about, I don't know, eighth of an inch, quarter of an inch, mm. okay, depending on how hard you throw it, okay? Uh, but it's just not going to do that kind of thing, right? The shuriken was a distraction weapon, not a killing weapon, okay? And I'm sorry if that bust anybody's bubble, but it should expand your training, right? And as far as we look at things, the shuriken is just an example of a certain class of weapons, right? If you go to the website uh, at um, uh, warrior-concepts-online.com forward slash weapons.html, uh, I've got some write-ups in there about the five classifications of weapons, right? And we're not talking about swords and stabs and shuriken and things like that. Those are examples of these five, right? But we have stick, bladed, projectile, flexible, and combination. Is that five? Yeah. Okay. So, of course, knives and swords and all that fit in the bladed weapon thing or the edge weapon, right? And we've got uh, long stabs and clubs and police batons and things like that in the stick thing, even a rolled up newspaper, you know, whatever, that kind of thing, right? And uh, firearms, especially if you're actually shooting them, um, and shuriken and arrows and things like that are in the projectile, right? We get mm-hmm. this stuff, right? Belts and cords in the kasarigama, um, not the kasarigama, the uh, 
uh, Kusari Fundo, right? Uh, or some people might call it a Manriki Kusari, that mm. kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. This weighted chain, all fit and flexible. Combination weapons are ones that actually combine more of these. So a spear or a naginata, uh, nunchucks, that kind of thing. They all fit the combination category because they're a combination of nunchucks are stick and flexible and, you know, uh, uh, yadi or the spear is, is, uh, what? Stick and edge, just like a naginata, right? So mm-hmm. they're these things. And so the shuriken is a projectile weapon. But if you can get out of your head, because in a lot of places, these things are illegal to own, let alone carry, right? Yeah. So, but now that you're not worried about killing with it, it's just a distraction thing, great. So now we have coins, we have drink coasters, mm. we have uh, the tops for, you know, some of your, like, coffee, like that little coffee thing you got there, <laughs> right? You got the top thing there, yeah. wallet, credit cards, all that kind of stuff, right? Now it can be pressed into service with the same kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. Another myth, and it's not a myth, I mean, because the, the shuriken can be used for throwing, right, uh, <clears throat> is that it was only a throwing tool. And that's just, it, it takes away so much of its of its power, okay? Um, the, the shuriken was very often just handheld, right, just concealed in the hand to ramp up your taijutsu, right? If the person expects to get punched because all he can see is your fist moving, and yet there's this little point sticking out and he ends up getting cut. Mm. So, uh, you know, cutting and scraping and digging and all those kind of things with this thing really makes it stand out. And as far as the throwing thing goes, um, I'm not so sure that it's a good idea for a warrior to throw his weapon away, no matter how many of these things you're carrying. Okay, It's mm-hmm. kind of like uh, when I teach combat handgun. Okay, I ask people what the primary benefit of having a semi-automatic pistol over a revolver is. And almost everyone, even a bunch of experts, say what? More bullets. More bullets, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, You better be really, really good Mm -hmm. to begin with uh, because you can't miss often enough to win. You can't, okay? And most people, just because they have extra bullets, tend to spray and pray, right? And uh, that's not the primary benefit of having a semi-automatic. You've been on my gun courses? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you remember? What's the primary benefit? About to kick a black belt's ass if he can't answer this. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I do not recall. You're going to say it, and I'm going to hit myself. But You are. You're going to do one of those whack-yourself-in-the-forehead kind of things. The primary benefit of having a semi-automatic weapon over a revolver, unless you buy something that has way too many safeties on it, is that you can engage a target during reload. Okay? You can leave one in the chamber when you drop the magazine, and Mm -hmm. if you're rushed, you can engage the person. You can shoot them while you're doing a reload. Thank you very much. I got that one right. Okay? With a revolver, okay, the magazine is the cylinder revolver kind of thing in there, right? It's the thing that revolves. Okay? During a reload, you have to do what? You have to swing that thing out mm-hmm. and make the gun inert. Right? So all you have now is a paperweight okay? or a truncheon to beat somebody with or whatever, mm. but you certainly can't engage them from a distance. Right? So again, it's one of these things. Um, we're right back to learning how to think about that situation. Okay? Because again, to most people, it's more bullets. I'm not saying that's not a benefit. But don't make that your reason for having a semi-automatic because there are times when I'll pick up a revolver. I mean, you know, if if you're a really good shot, you don't need that many. Okay? If you understand the use of cover and you're not just doing the cowboy thing or the, the uh, you know, cop shootout on the movies kind of thing where every time they poke their head out, they fire a shot, whether they can see a target or not. You know, unless you're pinning the other person down so your partner can move to a new position, that's called cover fire, you don't. You don't just pull the trigger and shoot wherever, right? Every time you pull that trigger, you make that weapon one more percentage 
useless mm-hmm. unless you're close and hand-to-hand kind of stuff, right? So uh, it goes the same thing with with shuriken, right? And you know we have the shuriken training manual. A lot of the stuff is, is in there. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people look at it and go, oh, so there's nothing in here I didn't know already. I would suggest you didn't read it cover to cover because um, there's a lot of stuff that's in there, even with the techniques that are described, that um, you know uh, a lot of people just assume that they've got. And it's one thing to know it psychologically. It's not one thing to know it intellectually. And it's a whole other thing. We're talking about shuriken or we're talking about your unarmed self-defense or whatever. If you can't do it when your left brain takes a vacation, if it doesn't come out of you instinctively and look the way it's supposed to, I don't mean it's crisp and pretty. It's going to be rough around the edges. But if you're not doing an Ichimonji-like thing or a Sagan-like thing and creating that distance and profiling and blading, when you have to do a snap decision, when your brain takes a vacation, if it doesn't just come out of muscle memory, you didn't train enough. Okay? And think about that's the worst case scenario where you don't have any kind of any any kind of idea of what's going on. You're suddenly startled and your body flinches, and by the time your brain comes back, you know you've 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 got what you have. You're not going to be really prepared for a situation. Everyone's brain. I don't care how well trained they are. If you are surprised, your left brain takes a vacation. One of the points of training is to get that 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 gap that vacation to be as short as possible, but you need to instinctively train your body to do something naturally that will be a part of the defense mechanism while it's on vacation, while the brain's on vacation. And one of those things is to be able to take up a kumai, one of these defensive kumai uh, or these postures where in that gap, your body instinctively goes to a cover position that embodies what I call the three keys of self-defense, right? It puts distance in there. It puts cover or a barrier that they can't get through very easily, and it removes your target. So in the blink of an eye, while your brain is trying to reorient itself to what the hell is going on, your body needs to be going someplace that will serve you when your brain comes back and can start, you know, figuring things out again. Mm. But the whole shuriken thing, uh, as with most of these things, they're just a whole bunch of... You know, they're the myths, obviously, right? Myth, myth, yes. Uh, there are these uh, myths, but, uh, you know, it, I don't think that you need to um, need to spend more than a little bit of time looking at the history of things, unless you just want to regurgitate a whole bunch and sound like you know what you're talking about. You need to relate these lessons to modern things so that, you you know, what you're really trying to learn is the concepts and principles, not the, oh, the shuriken look like this, and if I can't make them look exactly like this, then, you know, I don't have a real shuriken kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but this is no different than uh, a lot of of the theories that are being bandied around. One of my friends and I, we like to joke around about, uh, you know, a lot of these so-called gurus or self-appointed masters uh, in the forums and stuff, right? <laughs> um, I would just love to have them go through a time machine, go back to, I don't know, 14th, 16th century Japan, right? Go up on the Togakushi, which was called Togakure then, right? Go up on the mountain, find one of these little roadside inns, you know, find one of these little guys that are having some tea and maybe some miso soup, right? Have a seat and start telling him about your theories, <laughs> right? Here's what I think would happen. Before he answers your questions, he's going to invite you outside, have your sword with you, and he's going to say, look, okay, just draw your sword there and cut me, and um, when this is all over, I'll answer your questions. Because that's what warriors do. You know, stop talking about it. Mm. Okay? It goes back to that whole Sun Tzu thing, right? Those who know, don't say. And those who uh, say, don't know. Mm. Right? Uh, it's just, it's very, very different. It's a, it's a whole different um, thing. So where do you want to go with Shuriken now? Well, uh, just quickly kind of looking at uh, some of the tips, tricks, and, and techniques 
Uh, I'd like if you could expand on, and you mentioned already, uh, the use of coins, because, you know, let's face it, not too many people nowadays, even in a state like Pennsylvania where, uh, you know, they're legal, you could you can own them or have them. Mm-hmm. Most likely people aren't going to be carrying around an honest-to-goodness traditional Senban shuriken. They're, they're going to be having a pocket full of change or maybe their keys. So maybe if you could throw something just quickly out, how somebody could utilize that in, in a self-defense situation. Uh, we kind of give somebody a little bit of insight on, on a basic technique using a shuriken kind of mindset. Okay. Uh, well, let's go back to actual shuriken technique. Mm-hmm. If it's a distraction weapon, okay, um, and you're really not looking for it to embed. I mean, can you imagine throwing, even throwing a shuriken? 16th century Japan, you throw a shuriken as hard as you can at somebody's chest because you've been trained to only embed it in things like trees and boards <laughs> and things like that, right? And <laughs> what are you going to stick it to? His lacquered armor chest plate? Yeah. Lacquered wood? <laughs> Sticks it in there. What's he going to do? He pulls this thing back out, has a smirk smile, and throws it back at you. Okay, now you catch. Yeah. Okay, and you know the ninja weren't as armored as the samurai right. were. So, but <clears throat> let's think about this whole samurai guy, right? This is worst case scenario as far as distractions go. Mm-hmm. A fully armored samurai, okay, complete with the men, the face mask, right? Uh, the kote, the sleeves, whether they're armored or not, mm-hmm. kabuto, the helmet, everything, right? What kind of targets do you have? I would suggest that you have targets that are about mm, one to an inch and a half high by about three, four inches wide, where his eyes are visible between the top of his kabuto, or the, the lip, the, the visor part of the, the helmet, mm-hmm. and the top of that men face mask. If he's not wearing the men, then, oh, good. Now you got yeah. a, a face to throw at, right? <laughs> and you have a, about a two-by-two two section where the hands are. Mm. Maybe a little bit bigger, right? And in the Shuriken Manual, um, I actually took and uh, put some artwork in there. There's just simple blocks. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can actually copy these things, put them on target, and hang that up. Okay, now throw at that. Okay, <laughs> that's all the bigger you get a chance to hit. Okay, have at it. Right. So um, when you're talking about coins, uh, the lighter the object is, the more accurate you're going to need to be because you know around here we've got snow on the ground out, right? Yeah. And so people are wearing heavier coats and things like that. You throw your coin. Okay, to distract this guy, he may see you move, but he's probably not going to feel that coin bounce off his parka. Yeah, right. Yeah. And even the even in the summertime, when the guy's hyped up and he's got this adrenal rush and things like that going on, muscles are all pumped up and things. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in an accident or not, but you don't you not you don't realize you've got ninety percent of the bruises, bumps, and injuries that you have until the day after or the day after the day after, and your body's just just locked up and oh, yeah. it's just terrible, right? So this guy's probably not going to feel something like that, right? So unless you can hit the hand that's holding the weapon, or you can throw it at the eye line, right, across the bridge of the nose, that kind of thing at the eyes, uh, you're not going to be distracting this person very much, mm-hmm. okay? So uh, that would be the first thing. Uh, practice to throw at small at small targets, mm-hmm. right? And don't worry about throwing from across the room, okay? See if you can, uh, for those of you who are actually in Ninpo training and doing some of the Bujinkan stuff, right, um, combine the shuriken stuff or at least throwing of coins or uh, credit cards or whatever you want to do with your Sanchin movement, right? So can you do Chinawaza? And I don't mean do the whole form. I mean, can you take a step forward and allow your arm to naturally swing up like you're about to shake somebody's hand? And during that movement, just kind of let the, the weapon come out of your hand mm. <clears throat> so that to them, you're too far away to hit them. So what the hell are you doing? And yet, half a second later, ping, something bounces off their face. Yeah. Okay, So that's what starts the whole confusion process so that it blinds them uh, in one way or another that allows you to move in. Right. 
So, uh, but shuriken themselves are a part of an overall classification of weapons called tonki or handheld uh, hidden weapons, small weapons. Mm. Okay, so uh, they're right in there with the the caltrips, the little uh, tetsubishi uh, things that you know they throw and they step on, or blinding powder, or things like that. Right, so it fits that classification of weapons. Uh, so what you want to do is allow it to uh, come out at a at a surprising moment, uh, just as a natural part of another movement, right? So it's almost like studying magic or to be a magician, which mm. is kind of one of my hobbies and pastimes. I, I like doing that kind of thing because it allows me to practice uh, the whole psychology of things, right? How do I not give away mm. my secret move when I'm doing my secret move, right? How right. do I how do I allow this thing to just kind of slip out? So that would be a good place to a good place to either start or at least a good place to start thinking about how to use these things. But hmm. get out of your head, you know, that uh, you've got to have this ninja star to be a ninja, uh, that uh, shuriken were, uh, the, the shuriken means uh, throwing star. A lot of these things weren't star-shaped at all. They were spikes or, you know, uh, almost like little leaf-looking things, flat, you know, flat blades. It had lots of different shapes, okay? And the more points it has, the less deeply it will stick. Um What's another one? Oh, uh, make sure you're practicing. Even if you are, uh, you know, you kind of like that adrenaline rush when you throw this thing and it actually sticks in a target, right? Uh, remember that it's not always a good idea. So the ninja actually had two basic types of throwing methods. One was to get it to stick because maybe they would put like an incendiary in the middle or a message or something like that. And they throw it so that when it's stuck, the operative who was supposed to receive it, there it is. You can just pull it out, right? Mm. Um, but uh, the other thing is... Um, to have a method of throwing so that when it hits the target, it cuts and flies away. It's, it's just gone, okay? So, again, mm-hmm. if you think of, you know, ancient Japan where they're very, very superstitious, can you imagine a sentry who suddenly cut on their on a body part, right? There's no reason for it because it's a cut and it's gone, right? To them, that could have been a demon or, a you know, an invisible swordsman. So now yeah. they're going to run and go get back up, leaving the gate uncovered, so now you can slip in and that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of trying to sneak past this guy with your awesome stealth skills, hoping that he won't see you, why don't you just give him a reason to go get help? Yeah. They didn't have walkie-talkies back then, so you had to, like, you know, actually go get help. Yeah. Right. Uh, so just, again, think. We're not talking about thinking outside the box and, excuse me, and seeing how tricky you can be. Let's talk about thinking outside the box by first understanding what the freaking box is and how things operate in that box and then understanding how to use that setup to create a completely different situation. Hmm. How's that? That's a lot <laughs> and that's just scratching the surface. That's just scratching the surface. So I'm sure you have uh, more questions and comments, and you get those to Shidoshi Miller. Uh, check out the website, warrior-concepts-online.com, yeah, or send those emails. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the book uh, covers a lot and will give you a lot to work on, uh, just aside from the, the little bit, which was a lot. Well, actually, you know, here. I, I, at a bunch of the... Uh, Ninja training camps that we do in spring and fall, right? We we work shuriken in a lot, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these mm-hmm. things just—I'll I'll have that in there, and in sword courses, I toss it in there, uh, where the person's holding it, you know, while they're uh, uh, while they're holding their weapon, you know, ready to go. And before you cut, whether it's in your scabbard or it's over your head in daijodan or whatever, right? And then just before you go, you toss a shuriken. And then go, because he's dealing with the shuriken at the moment he gets cut. Yeah. He's not dealing with the sword. So, you, you know, you throw that distraction in. But on uh, one of the uh, DVDs, and you'll have to go online and, and take a look at which one it is that we have. Uh, we have several of the camp DVDs that are available. And in one of them, there's a whole session that I did on throwing the shuriken, entering a roll, in the middle of a roll, and coming out of a roll. Yeah. Right? 
and uh, that blew people's minds. So uh, that was a fun exercise. I remember that one actually specifically because I remember how much it helped my rolling. Absolutely, and shuriken or not, bringing those two things together makes your taihen, makes your kaiten, your rolling, your break falls so much better because you have to be in more control of yeah. your body movement during that motion where most people just fall and they're just trying to be gymnastic, yeah. right, uh, to be able to actually hit a target. So try that. Put up a target. <laughs> if you think you're real cool with it, then throw it as you're entering. I didn't say throw the shuriken, then roll. Right. I mean as a normal part of shifting into the roll, the shuriken leaves your hand and hits the target. In the middle of the roll, as your body's passing by and the hand lines up with the target and things like that, I didn't mean start a roll, stop, throw the shuriken, and then finish you know, with a back roll or something like that. In the middle of it, let the shuriken go because now you have to learn how to lead the target because by the time that shuriken leaves your hand, you're in a different place and you have to adjust for the motion, much like mm. a, a pilot has to, a fighter pilot has to adjust for hitting that moving target, right? Yeah. And then coming out of it as you're uh, going to come eye, throwing that shuriken can cover that gap between coming out of a roll and getting into come eye mm. to keep him from rushing you and uh, being right there, you know, damaging you as you're coming out of the role, getting into Kamai. And again, you know, people practice their, their skills. They practice their, their kata and things like that. But I think that one of the biggest, uh, uh, one of the most overlooked areas of people's training is the gap between one skill and another. People practice rolling, and they practice going into Kamai, and they practice their kata, but they're not practicing or they're not putting drills in to be able to cover themselves mm. between the end of a roll and the protection Kamai affords. Between going into Kamai and that next part of things that are happening, right? What if he throws two really fast punches instead of one uh, Japan hombu, uh, you know, long-range ski kind of thing, right? right? What if this guy throws two, a quick jab and cross kind of thing like you'd see on the street, right? Uh, can you move, or do you need to do that? Oh, shift to here, then oh, no, it's this step two, and then step three. Uh, Got to fill in the gaps. Mm. Got to fill in the gaps. And uh, shuriken is a really good way to do that because it gives them something to worry about. Okay? And it's actually in the sunshine as well, right? This whole thing, this whole concept of tossing a shuriken at just the moment between your defensive action and your offensive action to cover your attack is kunawaza. That mm. hand that comes up, okay? it's not about the form of the hand coming up. It's about something that's put in there to draw their mind away from what you're really doing. It's called Kijutsu Tenkan Ho, juxtapositioning truth and falsehood, right? They buy something as a truth. Oh, he's, that, that thing he's doing now is important, so they can't see the thing you're really doing, mm. right? Again, that's just one way of looking at it. Kijutsu as a whole. We'd have to do a whole podcast just on that. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you uh, you get your questions in. Warrior C at warrior-concepts-online.com. Plus, check out the website and find out more about how you can get your hands on the uh, book uh, relating to Shuriken. Uh, coming up on Kuden, the respectful warrior. How does the warrior define respect? I don't know. <laughs> it's not the what? Aretha Franklin version. Uh, yeah, it's not that. And uh, it's not the uh, uh, do unto others as you would have done unto you. Hmm. It's not that. Well, I guess it could be if you're going to go around and start punching people and attacking them because that's what attackers do. Right. But what we're going to talk about in a minute is uh, we're going to play off the lesson that we should respect everyone, even our attacker. 
even our enemy. Mm. Stew over that for a minute. That's next on Kuden. Are you protecting your company's number one asset? Smart companies know they cannot afford to have one of their employees become a victim of violence on or off the job site. WCI's corporate services can help. WCI's expert self-defense consultants can help you and your employees learn strategies to overcome obstacles and develop creative problem-solving skills. Develop and use better interpersonal communication skills, verbal self-defense tactics, and leadership abilities. Improve focus, concentration, and the ability to remain calm under pressure, plus valuable defensive and safety skills in order to prevent and survive incidents of violence. Hiring a WCI self-defense consultant could be the best move your company makes this year. Make WCI Corporate Services a valuable part of your wellness program. Contact WCI corporate services today by visiting wcinternational.com that's wcinternational.com we're back with our final segment of this episode of kuden we've come to the respectful warrior how does the warrior define respect this is big well i'm going to feed it back on you okay how do most people define respect what's the typical definition of respect Let's, you're not at the moment, but let's pretend that you're a parent and you're going to be giving your kid lessons so that they can grow up to be a respectful, positive influence in the world. Uh, let's start with the golden rule, right? Right. Um, do unto others as you would have to, done unto you, right? So uh, what else? Uh, you know, for me, I want to say it's a lot of just, well, this is what's right. It, it, it turns into a right and wrong thing, mm. you know. Right. It, it's right. You're supposed to do this. Well, why? The explanation isn't given, but mom and dad says that's the right thing to do or right. don't do that that's wrong. share your stuff right be polite right use the right kind of words that kind of thing right sure i agree okay um at warrior concepts the students learn uh very early that respect is a sign of value okay um it's also your first line of self-defense if i don't mm. give anybody a reason to want to knock my freaking head off because i'm an arrogant prick then I only ever need to use my skills to defend against somebody who's going to attack me no matter how nice I am, mm. right? So that's a good first lesson, right? But it's a sign of value. Um, treat everybody as though they're as important to you as you are you, but not just everybody, right? Um, people, things, situations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I often ask the kids, you know, do you have any toys or possessions that you really like that if anybody even looks at it, you start to get all anxious and stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, Well, how do you treat those things? And this is for adults, too, right? How do you treat those things? Oh, I keep them clean, and it's out here, and I don't want anybody to touch it because I don't want it broken. Great. Okay, good. Do you have any possessions, toys, whatever, that um, you don't like as much? And their eyes immediately start accessing, go up and up into the side and start accessing the visual <laughs> cortex, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think, right? <laughs> as soon as I see their eyes shift, I know where they've gone with it. I said, so where are those things? Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're under your bed somewhere. Mom yeah. threw them away four years ago, yeah. right? They're in the bottom of a closet somewhere. You have no idea, right? So we tend to respect, naturally, we tend to respect those things that serve us or that we like or whatever. But, uh, you know, I'm very nice to the clerk at the store, even if they're in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. Um, because my actions may be the thing that changes their day for them, right? They just may have had 10 customers in a row that were just in a rush and short or whatever, and now they're resenting being there because they don't want to have to put up with people generally, right? And along comes me. Here comes this people that, at least through his actions and speech, shows them that not everyone is what they were just Hmm. classifying everyone to be, right? And I also believe that everyone has this enlightened aspect inside themselves, right? Everyone is a potential Buddha or uh, Christ consciousness or whatever you want to call it. Everybody has this this potential to be this enlightened warrior. And um, 
I'm speaking to that thing. I'm speaking to that. I don't care how they're acting on the outside. Um, so there's this thing, right? I mean, and th- that grew out of this first lesson, right? This, mm. this basic, uh, be nice, use manners, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, uh, now as a segue or as a, as a bridge to what I'm going to say next, uh, in the Gyokoryu and in, uh, Sensei's teachings, he often makes reference to the dragon and the tiger. Okay. It's kind of like a yin yang. As a matter of fact, you, in most martial arts supply catalogs, you can find a patch. Yeah. That's a yin yang patch that has a dragon coming down and around out of the sky, uh, as part of half of the yin yang and a tiger coming up along off the platform, off a rocket standing on, looking up at the tiger, or mm-hmm. at the dragon, right? And, of course, they're both growling and stuff. And it looks like they're attacking each other, right? But they're not. They're complementing each other. Mm. Okay. The dragon in ancient lore was supposedly the strongest or most powerful creature on the spiritual realm or the ethereal realm. But the dragon is really a symbolic representation of social grace and etiquette. Okay. The highest epitome, epitome of a warrior in society as a lady or a gentleman. Okay. So the tools or the weapons of the dragon warrior is etiquette, proper attire, proper action, uh, manners, and those kind of things, right? Because that's how we accomplish things in society. That's how we navigate the realms of uh, getting people to do what we want and, and getting people to help us. On the other side, the tiger, and you have to remember back in ancient Japan, they didn't have tigers. So if you ever see a Japanese painting of a tiger, it always looks kind of dif- malformed, <laughs> you know, yeah. really grotesque looking and stuff. That's because the artist uh, never really ever saw tigers. They mm. saw tiger skins that had imp- been imported from China and India and, and mm. things like that, right? So what they had to do was reconstruct this animal <laughs> out of this skin, right? Okay, what would it look like normally? So the heads are usually broad and flat and, mm. you know, that kind of thing, right? But anyway, back then it was believed that the tiger was the strongest creature in the physical realm. So it represents tenacity and strength and ferocity and things like that, right? Ferociousness. Um, So the traits and qualities of the tiger warrior are all of our martial skills and our uh, ability and attitude to win, right? Bravery and confidence and those kind of things, right? So uh, that's great, but you don't choose. Well, lots of people do because they like to gravitate to one or the other, right? Tiger warrior or dragon warrior. When in reality... We need to embody both, okay? So when I'm in society, I don't. the tiger doesn't come out, okay? Mm. Because the tiger would alienate those people that I'm trying to help or get things from or whatever, produce results with or around. Mm. Just like in a fight, I don't bring the dragon, okay? Right. Because it's not about being nice. It's about being effective, okay? The lesson is don't bring the wrong weapons Mm. To the fight, okay? right? It's like the old joke of bringing a knife to a gunfight, okay? Don't bring, ooh, I can't hit you because that wouldn't be nice and respectful mm-hmm. in a fight. Okay? And one of the more questions I ask my students in the early in the early stages is, if we're not supposed to hit people as nice people, why are you taking self-defense or martial arts training? Why are you learning to break, damage, or cease a human life? Why are you doing that? Okay, because sometimes you have to to get this person to stop. Right. So how is respect for a warrior? Well, on one side for a warrior, it's what we've been told. 
to an epitome to mm-hmm. where the way you carry yourself and the respect that you exude gets respect back. Your very presence mm-hmm. isn't threatening to people. But at the same time, there's this ability that if you need it, it can come out in an instant and it will scare lots of people because they never saw that side of you. And it's very, very unsettling. Okay. Um, so the other half of respect for a warrior, and when we're talking about respecting our enemy, is to respect the fact that they are trying to do harm to us and position ourselves and act accordingly. That's respect. Mm. Okay. Uh, so I respect the lethality of a, uh, the lethalness of my firearms. <laughs> so I make sure it's unloaded before I clean it. I make sure I don't point the exit hole for the bullet at me or anybody that I, or anything that I don't want to destroy. Right. So, uh, you know, uh, guys that are in EOD, explosive ordnance, uh, demolition, they respect those things, right? They're not out there just being, jerks or whatever they've got their blast suit on and they're moving slowly and they're doing mm-hmm. everything they can to keep this from happening so it's the same idea right um, instead of being an extremist and either choosing to be a pacifist or a fighter or whatever okay, the idea is to have the skills to be both so that in whatever realm you find yourself you're able to operate mm. uh, appropriately okay and uh, that's why i believe that one of the uh, uh, the analogies of the life of a warrior or the existence of a warrior, is walking on the sword's edge. Sword's edge is a fine line. Mm. And on one side, we have social etiquette and all that kind of stuff. Right? And on the other side, we have all these supposed warrior skills, okay? you know, fighting skills, because they're all warrior skills. And the warrior has the ability, because he or she is balanced, to be able to step off on either side for as long as necessary to accomplish those results and come right back to center. Okay? Mm. So they are a... They are a uh, a true king or queen in the sense, if you've ever seen the Japanese kanji for all, for king or queen, okay? Uh, there's a central bar that runs, uh, it's a vertical bar, runs straight up and down, and then there's uh, a horizontal one that caps the top, one that caps the bottom, and one a smaller one that runs right through the middle, and then there's another tick mark on it. But um, the, the uh, top part represents heaven. The bottom part represents earth or the mm. ground. And the little bar in between, centered along the vertical bar, is you. It's man. So the true warrior or the tatsujin or the enlightened individual Mm. is equally balanced between the realm of the dragon, the realm of the tiger, or heaven and earth or whatever. So, And all this this, uh, king or ruler, right? Mm -hmm. The idea was that you were, you had balance between the real world and the ideal. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, does that help? Yeah. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, you know, I think it, it certainly is going to change the opinions or open up the minds of, of people that didn't look at respect as this assigning value to something. It differs so much from the, the whole golden rule idea. Um, you know, and it, people that are striving to live this kind of warrior lifestyle see that it's not just you know we talk in other segments about weapons or about self-defense situations but if you're trying to live as a warrior there's so much more to it than just that side of it right and you know we in the shuriken uh in all these episodes we keep talking about uh, the way people conventionally look at things yeah and it's it really is about thinking about how you think about things 
You know, how about that for a twist, right? <laughs> um, think about how you think about things and think about how you should be thinking about them to create the results that you want, okay? Uh, we've learned how to think about things. Mm. We've been taught how to think about things. And usually what we did was we borrowed things that it was comfortable for us, okay? Um, but uh, let's go back to just one little comment that I had made about the warrior being a true lady or gentleman. Remember the whole dragon yeah. warrior kind of mm-hmm. thing, right? Uh, a lot of these things can just be confusing because we look at something and we go by Webster's dictionary definition of what this thing means. Well, we got to remember that these definitions keep changing, and that's what they mean today. But the original definition of a gentleman, okay, it wasn't gentleman, it was gentile man. Okay, and I don't mean about the biblical gentiles and things mm-hmm. like that, right? Mm-hmm. A gentile man, okay, not only was this person very uh, aristocratic and very, you know, upscale, very classy, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Had uh, the epitome of manners and things like that. But part of his training and his upbringing okay, was also to be able to use uh, fighting skills, be able to use a sword. As a matter of fact, the this, this symbol for a gentleman was a sword, hmm. okay? Just like with the knights and things like that. Yeah. It was a sword, okay? Um, and uh, a true gentleman was able to protect those that he was responsible for. Mm. Gentlemen today are generally seen as passive, and they rely on other people to protect those that they're responsible for, like the police or the military or whatever. Mm-hmm. I make no excuses for the fact that if you touch someone I love, there's no place on this planet you can hide. Yeah. Okay. Because you'll invoke the tiger. Okay. Up until that point, the dragon's all for playing and having a good time in the world. Mm. But uh, don't ask me to bring the wrong weapons to the fight because you want to fight a certain way, which is another reason why I usually avoid arguments, fights in whatever form, uh, because when I fight, I burn bridges. Mm. One of us has to go. Okay, even if it's an argument or whatever, I avoid you know, arguments with the wife and things like that because I'm just not willing to do those things. That doesn't mean that I roll over. That means that I present my point, and it's okay to agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. However, a lot of people say things and do things in a fight because we have this social etiquette of forgiveness, and, you know, you forgive and forget. No, I'll forgive, but I'm not going to forget because I'm, you're obviously capable of it, so I'm going to watch this make sure you don't do it again kind mm-hmm. of thing. So it's, again, it's that warrior concept of being uh, ever vigilant. And things like that, but yeah, respect for a warrior. It's not cut and dry. It's you know we could we could have just talked about the whole. Uh, I respect the fact that the attacker is trying to do something to me, right? His yeah. intentions and his actions and things like that. So I position, but that's not the gist of it. I mean, there's it's both sides. Okay, it's both sides of the, both realms, and um, it's kind of like the yin yang. It's not all black and white. Okay, you remember that a yin yang symbol is a snapshot of energies and dynamic motion. If you were to put a, a axle through the middle of that thing and spin it. You don't get black and white anymore. You get varying shades of gray depending on the speed, right? Mm-hmm. So the baby lesson is the extremes. But we need to live in the shades of gray and understand when we need to have more of this side or more of that side going on for us. Very powerful lesson. I'm sure you have questions and comments. You can direct those to Shidoshi Miller by uh, email, warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com, as well as check out the website. Uh, it may have uh, already been revamped, depending on when you're listening to the podcast, but uh, it is also going to be uh, very soon from the actual time we're recording this. Uh, it's going to be up and running, so look for that as well, online at warrior-concepts-online.com. Thank you for listening to Kuden, and look forward to our next episode. A uh, little taste of what's coming up. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. How to, how to deal with a bigger, physically bigger attacker. Uh, so we'll talk about that in our self-defense segment. Also, uh, Teppo Jutsu. 
What's the ninja packing, as I put down here? Uh, let's talk a little bit about the DVD that's available, and you can look for that online, too, Surviving Under Fire. Uh, so we'll take a look at um, just some general things when it comes to firearms, but also how does the ninja mindset change people's conventional thinking about firearms? And uh, also the courageous warrior. How does a warrior define courage, bravery, it's I not that they're not know, afraid of anything. I don't right? know, but stop staring at me like that. You're intimidating <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, no, it's not that. <laughs> so look for look for those great topics coming up on the next episode of Kuden. Thank you for listening to Kuden, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes, call 570 570- Nine eight eight two 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 eight, or log on to www.warrior-concepts-online.com. That's five seven zero nine eight eight two 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 eight, or www.warrior-concepts-online.com.